So I'm thrilled to have my friend Brendan Fitzgibbons as my first guest today. I cannot wait for you to hear a story. I've known Brendan since about 2012. He is a hilarious comedian, a clever writer, and I absolutely love the way his mind works. He's an actor, he's a host, and he's also a producer. Brendan has written video and print pieces for Rolling Stone, The Onion, College Humor, and Huffington Post. He's performed stand-up at Caroline's on Broadway, UCB, stand-up New York, comic strip live, Gotham Comedy Club, and colleges across the nation. He was named one of New York's funniest in 2017. And Brendan was most recently featured in a sketch for Full Frontal with with Samantha Bee. He's currently a comedy writer and producer for NBC and Bravo's reality dating show, Blind Date. And he is a writer and actor for Comedy Central's new comedy show, Alternatino. And this week, he's launching his podcast, which I love, Spiritual Asshole. That was great. That was the best (laughs) intro I've ever had. Was it? And I hope my parents are listening. (laughs) Be proud. (laughs) They better be. Wow. I was like, wow, maybe I'm doing well when you read that stuff. (laughs) It sounded pretty good to me. It sounded amazing. I know. Let's keep going. (laughs) Your parents really should be proud. They should be proud. Yay. So, welcome. I'm so thrilled you're here. You're my first guest. This is amazing. This is so awesome. I'm incredibly excited. It's awesome to talk to you and uh, not be uh, auditioning. I know, right? (laughs) I'm usually like behind a camera. It's like, uh, it's a different, it's a different setup here. So, okay. So let's start from the beginning. Yeah. You know, as things start. I know you grew up in Illinois. Yes. All right. So, Tell me a little about your childhood. Like, did you have any interest in performing as a kid and writing? Tell me about, like, growing up. Well, I never really thought about performing. But then, like, (laughs) my uncle has these videos of us from, like, when I was really little. And I had this microphone and a guitar. And I used to take it around the family parties and just, like, perform for people. And I think I did always want to. But then I grew up in a very, like, blue, like, white-collar, blue-collar suburb of Chicago called Palatine where... All anybody cared about was sports. So it's like everybody's just like – the whole time of my whole life, I'm like, well, when I play for the Bulls, and I was like – I thought I was going to be in the NBA until I was like 16, and I, was, I wasn't even that good at basketball. I had braces. And I was like, yeah, I'll be braces, – Braces? That makes a bad basketball yeah, player? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, I, it makes you a bad basketball player if you have braces <laughs> and you're 16. And I was like, yeah, I'll just probably play for the Bulls and just take it from there. But then like towards the end of my high school, I became really good friends with Matt, this kid, Matt Gutchick, who was in the theater program, and he was the only person I know – I even knew could even do that. And then sort of I started getting into music a lot. And I was like, oh, you can be an artist. And it doesn't have to just be all about the Chicago Bears. <laughs> oh, my God. That's funny. Yeah. So then that sort of started sparking some stuff in me, I think. Mm-hmm. Did you play an instrument? I played a little bit of guitar in college. But that's just because I went through an intense breakup. Uh- and I needed a hobby. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to be the sad guy you, with the guitar now. Did you write really sappy, sad yeah, songs? Yeah, I still do. I, oh. No, no, no. I, I don't actually write songs anymore, but um, sometimes I do get drunk and uh, talk to myself about sad things. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you're... So you're, are you taking theater classes at that point, like in high school and stuff, or are you just no, kind of so dabbling? No, I, I didn't take anything until college. I took one theater class in college. And the mm-hmm. whole time in college, I started really writing. Mm-hmm. So college, I wrote for the student newspaper. I had a journalism degree, and I got to intern for Michael Moore for two years. Wow. That was like amazing. That story is amazing. Like. I, um, that's what really changed. When I was a senior, my friend Bridget was like, let's go see Michael Moore. And I was like, You were okay. a senior in college? High school. Oh, high school. Okay. And then I saw him and it like kind of changed everything. And then when I was in college, I just wrote him a letter. Just, just, just out of the blue, you wrote Michael yes. Moore a letter. And I was like, hey, I want to work for you. Sent it off. 
didn't even think about it. And like five months later, they called me and they're like, yeah, do you want to come in, come live in New York and intern for, for him? And I was like, yes. So next thing I know, I'm like in Michael Moore's office. And this is like right when Fahrenheit 9-11 was going down. They were making Fahrenheit 9-11, dude, a book called Doers My Country. And it was like a 12-person office in Michael Moore. So I did that for two summers, and I became really good friends with the web designer. And he start le- started letting me update his website. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, what did you write in the letter? Like, what? I mean, that's such a difficult thing to, like, know what to write. And also, like, you went to – you went. where did you go to college? I went to the University of Iowa. And what did you study there? Political science and journalism. So it was like a perfect combination. But also I liked Michael Moore a lot because I thought he was funny. Like so mm-hmm. he had all three things that I cared about at the time. I wasn't focusing on comedy as much. Um, so what did I write in the letter? This kind of goes actually into my podcast about spirituality. It's actually sort of been my framework for how I think you can get things is like I just wrote it. I was super confident and I just let it go. Mm-hmm. And like, ever since then, I'm like, how do I keep, to, how do I get back to that place? I totally believed it was going to happen. I didn't care. And I just sent it off. And then bam, next thing I know, David Shankula from Michael Moore's office is calling me and like, hey, do you want to just come to New York? I was like, sure. And was that your first job like out of college? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I was still in college. It was an internship. Oh, this was an internship. Yeah, okay. yeah I did it two okay. years in a row. And um, yeah, that was my first like, yeah, and I had to do some like crappy jobs, but it wasn't bad. Like that at worst, I was like going to get Michael Moore like silverware. <laughs> But you were writing or what were you like? Yeah, like okay. eventually they let us – They like he gave me the uh, – like he gave me so much leeway with his website. I was like updating Michael Moore's like website, like his mm-hmm. news feed. And this was right as Fahrenheit's going down the second year. And I got to go – I had to go through his emails and his fan letters. And it was crazy how split it was. It was like, Michael Moore, you're a hero. I love you. And the other one was like, hey, I hope you die. <laughs> and you're like, oh my god. He had a higher security. But that, like, because people forget that he was one of the only really outspoken people at the time. Now everyone, like, it's, like, cool to hate on Trump. It's, like, that was not the case in 2003, Mm -hmm. 2004. People thought you were, like, a traitor. I mean, what would happen Mm -hmm. to the Dixie Chicks? So it was really cool to be there and also a little frightening because there was, like, security guards in the office. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, he had death threats. Were you, like, at all intimidated, like, once you got the job, like, once you got the internship, like, when you got there? Because that's got to be surreal. Like, you have this person that you potentially look up to. Yeah, he was, like, the person I looked up to the most. I was only really nervous when he was there. Mm -hmm. But he was actually a really nice, kind of shy guy. He's actually kind of the opposite of how he is on TV. So... It was great. And I made some friends there and it was like one of the best internships I think you could possibly get that I didn't even know existed. I don't think they even knew it existed. I like just was like, I want to be an intern. So they just are like, okay, that that sounds good. Yeah. So do you still have that letter? Like, like, like the draft. Man, of it I really or wish I did because it was an actual letter. Like, I actually like wrote, it out. wrote it out. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh my it God. was not an email. Old school. Yeah, well, that was like, <laughs> it was kind of pre email. I know. I sent him a telegraph. Uh, no, because I usually, like, I've saved, like, a lot of my drafts of letters I've done. Oh, that's cool. From, like, you know, way back when, when I was looking for work. So that's why I'm asking, like, did you have, like, drafts of it? I would you love know? to or know was, what or, I said. Or was it just kind of like, I'm just going to do it? Because it was so heartfelt. I think it was just probably like, you're my hero. <laughs> Did I you say meet. that? Probably. <laughs> like, it was so heartfelt and so not – I was so not in my head. And I just was like, yeah, this is going to happen. And it just did. That's amazing. So it's funny because I use that as like a frame of reference for everything. So now when I don't get jobs, I'm like, Michael Moore, why did I, why was that so easy? <laughs> right, right. I'm like, well, well so- do you do you feel like now that you're, you know, you're older, mm-hmm. do you over do you think you overthink those yes. things more? Yes. And what do you do to like 
to get out of that. I mean, that's everything why I'm doing this podcast. It's mm. literally the only <laughs> – I think it's the only work anybody has to do is to get out of their head. Mm, I, I think agree. like once you get out of your head, you ha- I think you have all the answers. Okay, let me give you a very concrete example. This happened last night. This is a crazy story. Oh, great. So I was at a bar. I was at one of my favorite bars. It's, it's in the one hotel in, in Dumbo and it's an amazing view. And – I had two drinks. And when I have two drinks, I'm usually kind of out of my head. Like, so I'm like, I'm reacting quickly. Three is when it gets a little fuzzy and maybe like a little too out of my head. So I have two drinks. I'm locked in. I'm talking to this girl. And then I look over and I see right behind her is a couple and the girl's hair is on fire from the candle. Swear to God. Oh my God. So she didn't know. Her hair is on fire. I don't even think. I reach across. I start smacking the back of her hair and everyone's like, what's happening? And then like the waiter comes over with this napkin and like flames her hair off. And I just did it in a split second. And I like, and I, I'm not saying I'm a hero, but I am. No, but, uh, <laughs> but I helped, I helped do it. Cause I just reached across and she was staring at me like, what is this guy doing? But I think about that moment and I'm like, if I didn't have those two drinks, I would probably maybe be too scared to have done that. Wow. Because I think that we get so much in our way, especially Mm -hmm. as you get older, you have to be so careful about not getting in your way. Mm -hmm. And you know, I mean, in acting and all that stuff is like the number one way you can see it. Mm -hmm. I know when I auditioned, I was like, oh my God, you were so in your head or you were so in it. And it's the same thing with stand up. So I just hope it doesn't always have to be two drinks. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, that's so funny. So I guess maybe she thought you were like hitting her in this new agey way, like hitting her head or something, you know? I was like, hi, hi. No, no. And then like then the waitress came over, a waiter came over and like literally was fan- – like her whole back of her head was on fire. How did she not know her hair was on because, fire? Because, I mean, it was a bar. It was loud. And then it started – you know, like that burnt hair smell? I had it all over my hands. <laughs> the whole bar smelled like burnt hair. And then she just left with her boyfriend. But it was like the most crazy instant reaction. Like I wasn't even thinking. Wow. And I was like, wow, maybe I am a hero. Well, I wonder if you, I mean, in that case, it's an emergency, you know, yes. and nobody else moved but you. No, but then the waiter came over. But yeah, there was a couple next to them. And then there was the girl who I was talking to. So it was like three people between me and her. But wow. I, but like her whole, like if you see someone's entire back of their head on fire and it was illuminated against the glass window. So it looked like the whole window <laughs> was on fire. So it was like kind of, it was absolutely an emergency. Like, like two more seconds. I don't know what would have happened. Oh my God, that's But scary. luckily the waiter came over and like started smacking. I think Did he had a nap. thank you and No, like she just you? like, I think she was so embarrassed, but she shouldn't be. It's like not her I fault. Mean, she went up in flames. I mean, come <laughs> on, you know. <laughs> I'm actually surprised it doesn't happen more. There's so many candles in New York and girls have long hair. <laughs> to be on fire, please. So, okay. So you're, so you interned at, uh, with Michael Moore mm-hmm. during college. Now, during college, were you, um, exploring theater at all or stand up or like, cause you were I, doing writing cause you're journalism. Yeah. So I was writing for the local Daily Iowan and I had, I wrote some like kind of funny political columns, but mostly just like what I thought was funny. I don't know if that was funny then. And then. I started getting into stand-up watching a lot. and Who did you watch the most? Chappelle. Really? Still the most biggest influence really? on me, yeah. Why do you like – what do you find like, I, inspiring about I him? I was saying this last night because someone asked me this question. I – listen, you, I understand that his like last couple specials got controversy, whatever. But I think if you can be funny and say something at the same time, it's the highest form of art. Mm. And I feel like he's like a mystic. Like I mm. feel like he's like the sage – actually in his Mark Twain speech, he just said like – Growing up, his mom used to say, you should be a griot. And a griot is, I think, an African term for a storyteller. And they said that when a griot dies, it's like a whole library burns down. 
And I feel like that is him. Wow. I think when you see him, mm-hmm. he's this like otherworldly kind of, he's not just funny. Like he's here to like tell us stuff. And that's why I'm so drawn in by him. And I think from an artistic perspective, from a stand up perspective, if you listen to his specials, he is so technically perfect mm. as far as timing, as far as like drawing you in. Mm-hmm. The way that he draws you in, he's not necessarily will get the biggest laughs, but you're so engaged because mm-hmm. of the way he's using his voice, because of intonation, because of his acting ability is insane. His sketch comedy writing ability out of obviously he's a triple threat i mean mm. it's extremely rare and a star is born when he i mean it's I know. Amazing he's an amazing actor i mean i think if he wanted to be a dramatic actor he would kill it yeah i think he would be i think he'd win an i don't think he even cares mm. so i just like i just feel like he's just like operating on another level so then yeah i was watching Chappelle. i went through that breakup and like all i was doing was like watching comedy with my roommate and we started talking and he was like you should do this and i, was, I almost did an open mic in iowa and i didn't and then um I took one theater class and then I got another internship in New York and that's when I started doing stand up. Uh-huh. So I came back out to New York. And what um what about the journalism political science thing? I mean, I'm sure you get asked that a lot. Like what yeah. what were you thinking having that major? Like what was your what was your goal like after college having that, you know? I think it was to be like um so there's this writer for Rolling Stone his name is Matt Taibbi who I love. He was I still love. He's still there. I got to meet him. So he I'll tell that story. So he is a writer for Rolling Stone, but he was always kind of funny. And also, it was still like, there was no comedy program in Iowa. So it was definitely, I was still thinking about it. Like, I, a daily show, John Stewart was such a huge influence for me. So I was like, that's kind of my lane, I think, for sure. So when I was doing political science and journalism, I was I still had my eye towards that. I love The Onion. And then my internship was with Rolling Stone. So I got to meet Matt the, the last day I was at Rolling Stone. And wow. uh, so the last day I was at Rolling Stone... <laughs> The internship coordinator knew I loved Matt and it was a major reason why I was there. And <laughs> he comes up to me and I go, hey, man, huge fan. He goes, oh, thanks, thanks. What do you do? I go, oh, I just got done um, doing political science and journalism in Iowa. He just goes, Jesus, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> not the reaction you were looking I was like, for. That was like freaking great. <laughs> He's like, not totally wrong. I mean, I liked Iowa, but it was really funny. <laughs> what did you say to that? I was just laughing. <laughs> But then he like looked at my stuff later on and like gave me notes. Now he's doing a podcast for Rolling Stone. It's really successful. Oh, what, what's the it's podcast? It's called Useful Idiots. Oh, yeah. spiritual assholes, <laughs> useful idiots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, see a, I see a theme here. Yeah, there is a trend <laughs> to your to your inspirations so and, the, and ode to it. Yes? Yeah, an ode. So that was uh, yeah, that was how I started in New York, and then I did an open mic when mm-hmm. I was um, at Rolling Stone, and I did an open mic in Park Slope, and the first open mic I did was at a lesbian bar, and I. <laughs> Didn't know it was a lesbian bar? What lesbian bar was that? It was called Caddyshack. It doesn't exist anymore. It's in Park Slope. Oh, in Park Slope. Okay. And I go to the office the next day and tell all the other interns, I'm like, yo, I did stand up last night. It was, it was great. It wasn't that great. I was like, it was great. And uh, they're like- Did anyone come to see you that you knew? No. I wanted to do it alone because I I had no idea what was going to go down. Mm -hmm. And everyone was like, oh, cool. The lesbian bar? And I was like, what? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't know it was a lesbian bar at all? No. How did you get that gig? Oh, you just walked in. It was an open mic. I lived in Park Slope. Oh, okay. I wasn't like, I'm pretty sheltered. I mean, to grow up in the suburbs of Chicago, like it was mostly, I would say, 95% white. I knew like one gay person and one black person, and I think they were the same person. (laughs) (laughs) So like, yeah, I was very, you know, blue. Like I didn't know shit. And so, yeah, looking back now, I was like, oh, yeah, that was lesbian. (laughs) So what what did you talk about in your first stand-up? Oh, my God. I was so like (laughs) – 
I still do this where I'm too like, and I was like creating some weird store long, really way too long joke about monopoly. And it was just <laughs> like, it was, Oh my God. Like it was like Woody Allen ish from like the sixties. It felt like a Woody Allen joke. He would tell, cause I was listening to a lot of Woody Allen at the time. I'm like, Oh, this is sorry guys. This is before it all went down and uh, <laughs> don't get mad. And so, yeah. So I it was just so long and it went well though. I felt confident. And then the next 25 times probably didn't go well. <laughs> So. Now, did you – what other places – like, what What was your first stand-up uh, gig that you felt like, oh, my God, I'm comfortable, I'm good at this, like, I this is this is a good – this is good writing for me, or this is the theme I want to go with? It probably with. took me, like, six months. I did this gig, and Dave Luster had this show um, in Clinton Hill, mm-hmm. and it was, I think, an all-black audience, and I had this boys to men joke that did really well, and I was like, okay, I can keep doing this. But, yeah, like, you're can going – Can you tell us a joke? It's like <laughs> – I actually still tell this joke sometimes. It's basically like my favorite member of Boys to Men was this guy who would just talk during all of the songs. Like, uh, do you remember Boys to Men? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the whole band would be like, you know, sometimes you get so lonely. And then he would just be like, yeah, baby, sometimes I just get so lonely over here. And I would like start doing his voice. And like, I think coming from like a, uh, a white dude, it sounded probably pretty fun. <laughs> That's probably what was the, the whole. One was an all black crowd, right? It, like, yeah. oh my gosh. All black crowds are so. It's such an interesting thing to do. It's so different. What, tell us about like what. Well, they're and they could be the best crowd ever in two seconds, or they could hate you immediately. Mm. And my friend Dan Goodman used to always has this great thing observation. He said, and then like when a white guy would go up, the host always in all back room goes, "All right, everybody, we're about to flip the script." <laughs> <laughs> and that means a white dude's coming up. Oh my god, that's a oh yeah, that is very true. They're like, all right, guys, we got a special treat for you guys, and it's oh like, my god, flip it, the script. You have to be really confident. You have to like be really on your shit, and then, but if they like you, it's incredible. Mm. If they don't like you, it could be horrible. Mm. So that was. I actually kind of did a lot of all black rooms starting out, and then I I haven't done them in a while. But I would. Where, again where, in a what second. clubs were those? Like that was just like you know the cool thing about New York is that there's so many shows and the rotation of shows i don't even know anymore i I used to be really on top of the independent shows now Mm -hmm. there's just thousands like there's so many clubs and there's this is the best city in the world for stand-up comedy period in my opinion i think most people would say that because you can get up five times a night if you wanted to Mm. and what about the audiences like i mean i've been to a lot of comedy shows and uh different clubs and stuff like that and there's obviously different audiences and how do you get like i've seen audiences that are people from out of town and then there are the local people and and then you have your college audiences i mean there's a variety do you change your stand-up based on where you are i don't i try not to do that but it's definitely like literally okay so i would have nights where i would go do a youth hostel in the upper west side oh, wow. <laughs> yeah which That's is be different. like all australians and you're like all right well good luck th- just thinning your material through this very sm- sometimes people wouldn't even speak english and we just <laughs> i would just do crowd work and be like what's up with you <laughs> and then you go do like a midtown room like a club in midtown and that's a very mainstream audience mm-hmm. with some tourists then you could go do um, an East Village room or a Bushwick room, which is completely different white hipsters that I think are very sensitive, and it could be real tough. <laughs> and they're very they can they can be. I don't want to paint a picture that they're all like this, but it's those actually, in my opinion, are some of the harder rooms because they're sometimes it's so tight and so mm-hmm. sensitive. Especially now, I think it's got even worse. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. 
listen, like we're not like victims, but it's it's tough. Like sometimes it's honestly like they some of the judgment coming from those rooms, you're like, good God. <laughs> right, right. You're it's like, very tough now, especially, you know, with the political climate. I yeah. Mean, I saw you, like, uh, I was watching one of your videos where you did some stand-up and uh, you were talking about Trump and the reaction was pretty, like, yeah. they were like, no, we don't want to hear that. Well, you know? yeah. I've I heard ran, that on different stand-ups, too, lately. I ran um, a show at Caroline's leading up to the election called Anyone Could Be President, Even Us with Lance Weiss. And it was so crazy because we all the Trump stuff we had – was so funny for so long. And then when it got closer to the election and like he might, this dude might win, it stopped being very, it mm. stopped being funny at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you just never know that. And that's kind of the beauty and the insanity of stand up is like you don't really know what you can get into. I don't necessarily think that you're not funny if you can't kill in all these rooms, although you should really flex your muscles and try to do as many different kind of rooms as possible. Right. Some people just stay in a certain kind of scene, and that's fine, too. But what's cool about now is that there used to be this huge divide between alt rooms and, like, clubby rooms. I feel like that's kind of going away now. Really? I think it's much more like a blend, mm. which is good. Of what? Like, of, like, both. Like, where mm-hmm. it's – there used to well, be what's such all, a – what's alt rooms to you? An alt room is, like um, – do you remember Fifi? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So an alt room was, like, Rafifi, where it was, like – Explain, like, what Rafifi is. Rafifi was a bar in the East Village. It's actually the first place that I saw an independent comedy show in, in New York. And it had, like, when I my first show was, like, Aziz, Mike mm. Birbiglia. And this is before any of these people were big. Mm-hmm. Todd Berry, Eugene Merman, mm. and Bobby Tisdale. And it was just, it's a kind of a, it's almost an attitude of, like, not a lot of jokes. Mm. It's, like, it's different than, like, how you would normally see stand-up at that time. You know? it, it, do you, would you describe it as more storytelling or – I don't know. It's, it's sort more of personal, personal, more storytelling, right? more – Like Gaffigan does, like some, Yeah, Gaffigan though can cro- – I mean Gaffigan crushes in like all rooms. I think yeah. he can do any room. But that is like – they don't really want to hear like set a punchline, didn't you? Right, right. Which is kind of how I got trained. So I do I – I can do well in those rooms. Sometimes I struggle. Um as long as they don't think I'm telling jokes. Did you actually? <laughs> Which is so funny. Did don't you tell act- us a joke. The point of comedy is not jokes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I that you know what that's so funny because for a long time I was like kind of anti stand up. I was yeah. like I don't want to go in the room and be like try to make me laugh. Like you know don't because some of the stand up I would see was like. Uh, it was it was like very forced, you know what I mean? Or yeah. they were like attacking the crowd, and I just felt like when when I got back into watching it, I found that the storytelling aspect was more just relatable yeah. and not like I didn't want to feel like someone was trying so hard to make me laugh. And I feel like there's more, there's less people like that yes. now, don't you think? I think that, yeah, there's been this huge push towards really personal stuff, really relatable. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, like any art form, it has to grow, right? So mm. it has to go somewhere. So it's going in that direction. Don't get me wrong. Some of my favorite comics are from that scene. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I want to do well in those rooms. But it's the sensibility and the differences in it were really are really interesting sometimes. Like what people think is and isn't funny based off of how you present it. So... Yeah, a lot of times it's like a, it's the presentation of the joke sometimes mm. that you have to be like careful of. But I get it. Like the people were, got, they were tired of hearing jokes about airplane food, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now you're taking me back to airplane food. Oh, my God. Don't, they don't even like give you food anywhere. They just throw no. some nuts at you. And it that's it. Like, have a, have a good flight. As as hope as, you land. <laughs> and hopefully, yeah. And hopefully nobody has a peanut allergy. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, wait, did, so did you ever take any stand-up classes or did you just do it? I just did it because everybody always said the only 
any really good stand-up that I talked to, they said the only answer is to just do it and write. Wow. And that's still like – Gary Goldman has been doing all these stand-up comedy tips on his Twitter. Mm-hmm. And that's – I'm sure that's what most of them I think I've seen from what I've seen. It's basically distilled down to just – he's like, you have a bad show? Go home and write. You had a good show? Go home and write. <laughs> but do you think It's always like, kind of the answer. Yeah, there, but, you know, there's obviously, you know, innate gifts and talent for writing because it's obviously a gift in writing mm-hmm. as well as performance. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people struggle with the what's a good joke or what's a good format for them. But then it's also the delivery because some people just have just bad delivery. Yeah, I'm not against classes. In fact, and I've read I, in this time. So as I'm starting, I read every book about comedy. Mm. I literally I had any book about any comedian, either biography or a compilation or a stand up book. I read it. I actually recently read maybe two years ago, a year and a half ago, I guess it's not that recently, how to rate, write for late night comedy. Who was that by? Awesome. It was an, I wrote the author. I was like, dude, this book is great. Um, a long time Leno writer. I forget his name off the top oh, of my wow. head. Yeah, that's the thing. My, okay, this is what I will tell people. This is a very important piece of advice. If you are going to take a class from somebody, make sure that person is successful. <laughs> right. And they're, they are having success in the industry because mm-hmm. there are a lot of classes of people who they're literally supplementing their income or they're just, they're just like, okay, well, this isn't working. I'll be a teacher. Take a class from somebody who is successful, mm-hmm. that, and then you'll be fine. Like I read this book because I was like, "Oh, this dude wrote for Late Night for twenty years." Right. Yeah. Right. So, so, and they were still writing. Like, I yeah, mean, still I think, for, I think, for I think Late he Night. Is. No, I think he quit because uh, he was with. He went from Letterman to Leno. I don't know what he's doing now. Mm-hmm. I think he actually might be teaching. But no, I would totally. I actually got that book recommendation from two other great standups. So it's like, yeah, no, there's definitely by all means if you want to take a class or like if you're gonna take a UCB class. Make sure you like your instructor or make sure you like – sometimes the pit will have really awesome, like Mm. really good Mm -hmm. teachers Mm -hmm. that have done really good things. That's all I I would say. And by observation, right? I mean constant watching watching other people, right? Watching everything. You know, with um, all the – with all the people that you were watching um, growing up and everything. One of my favorite stories about that is – so I'm friends with this comic named DC Benny who I love. Love DC Oh, you know DC. He's the best. yeah. All right, so he's been doing it for like 30 years, and I didn't realize that he's been so successful for so long, but obviously he's great. And so my friend Morgan, my mutual, our mutual friend Morgan came and did the show I was producing, and he saw, he goes, oh my God, DC Benny's on your show? He goes, yeah. He walks over to DC Benny. He goes, oh my God, DC Benny, like, I grew up watching you. He's like, I took notes on your set, and without missing a beat, DC Benny goes, hey, uh, can I see those notes? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, that's he, like so selling good. that, right? He's like, "Yo, can I see those notes?" Oh my god, that's hysterical. oh god! It was such a good line. Yeah, DC is the best. So okay, so you obviously this was a big move. Just to go back, yeah, to New York. Moving yeah. to New York was huge. Yes, like what was that like? I mean, that was that to a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of people in our industry that moved to New York and from other areas. Yeah, and it's and can be very intimidating. And obviously, we talked about that a little bit. But you know, um, like, and also my other question, and I'm sure you get this a lot, is like, why New York versus like Chicago? I mean, you had this internship, but Chicago obviously has a big comedy yes. uh, scene. I would say it was just happened by default. In mm. fact, I've come to realize I've probably actually been here for maybe too long. But uh, How long have you been in New York? Oh, my God. Since 2006. Oh, wow. Yeah. It wasn't until someone pointed out in exact years how long I've been here. I was like, what? <laughs> huh? I was like, oh, my God. 
I got to live in LA uh, a year and a half ago for a bit for writing for Alternatino, and mm-hmm. I love it out there. But the Chicago question is a good question. I would tell anybody who's starting to do stand up, start in a smaller market city because New York is <laughs> no joke to start doing stand up here. Mm. Like, you know, you have to pay for open mics. I think the scene has gotten more support. You have support. to pay for open mics? A lot of them. Really? And a lot of other cities you do not. The scene has gotten a lot more supportive, but when I started, it was super cutthroat. And on top of the fact that when you do start in New York, you sometimes will be doing shows with Jim Gaffigan. So mm. it's like <laughs> the audience's expectations are like, well, why aren't you Jim Gaffigan? You're like, because I'm one week into doing stand-up comedy. <laughs> Did you have situations like that yeah. where there was like a, a someone before – was it usually you yeah. were before that person or you were after them? Um, I don't think I followed I, – I don't think I followed Jim. I had to follow Louis C.K. Oh, my God. <laughs> but that was recent. That was like – not recent. That was like – Three years ago, before all that went down, and I had to follow him, and I was only able to do it because I've been doing Santa for so long. Mm-hmm. But that's nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is, like, you're judged kind of on everyone. The problem with the way people view stand up is everyone thinks they're judging you off of Jerry Seinfeld. Mm. It's like you know, if you pick up a, a, it's like looking at a professional guitar player. Like that guy's awesome, and then someone picks up the guitar and they suck. You're like, well, this person sucks. It's like, yeah, because you just picked it up a week ago. <laughs> It's no different. I mean, so listen, if you want to come to New York, come to New York. It's the best place for stand up. Good luck. <laughs> nice. God bless you. <laughs> nice plug. Yeah. Okay. So, being that, you know, New York is a tough place yeah. to survive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What were your survival jobs? Oh, yeah. No, no, that's a good question. I started, I worked at Barnes and Noble for like three oh, months. Oh, God. Yeah, as a bookshelver. And then I was like, this sucks. Then I got. And then I worked at an illustration museum. I don't even know how that happened. Doing what? What was I was that like job? in reception. Okay. And then I started fact checking for magazines. Okay, that's which when was you got like into that. the journalism stuff, right? Which I was able to use. And I fact checked at Rolling Stone, and I fact checked at Condé Nast a bunch. Oh wow! Okay. And I started writing a little bit there, and that was actually a good survival job because I became really good friends with my boss, and she let me leave whenever, and I left a lot. Which place was that? Lucky Magazine, which is okay. now gone. But uh, yeah, it's just getting integrated. But I would like leave to go out. My main, my main thing is like I need to leave to go to auditions. Like, so when were you starting to audition? Because like you were doing yeah. stand up. When did you transition to acting? Because you were say, writing and all that other stuff. Yeah, I would but... say maybe three years into it, Lance Suisse, who's helped me out a lot in my career, recommended me to Jerry. Um, Cal- to Jerry Calaraca. Okay, is that how you say his last name? I never know. I've only known him for twelve years. I never know how to pronounce his name. <laughs> I love knows. you, Jerry. You're awesome. Nobody knows. I never. No, I just say Jerry K. Jerry K. <laughs> at DDO. My ba- right? my boy Jerry K. At DDO, mm-hmm. and then and that's a talent agency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was with him for a while. Then I moved to Buckwall. And how did he find? So he found Lance. Recommended Lance. me. Lance was with him. Yeah. Okay. And then I started recommending people to Jerry, and I booked some stuff. I didn't book. I booked the ride. And I booked some other stuff, mm-hmm. and then. Um, and you booked something through me. I booked something Com- through Comedy Central. Oh yeah, it was uh, Papa John's. Papa John's was that with Jerry? It yeah. might have been. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. And so yeah, so then, but then I wanted to move to with Buckwald. I think then Jerry moved, and I love Jerry. It was, it was like a, it was like not a, anything personal. I was like, I just want to go right with Buckwald, mm-hmm. and he would have probably told me to go to Buckwald. Um, now, what, had you taken any acting classes? Because at this point, you were... I took a Brooke and Mary acting class, which was really right. great. I would but recommend that. For that. commercials. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I'd recommend that. And but then no, I, like, theater classes or no, like, no. legit, like... UC, oh, camera. UCB. I took, four UCB. Level, I took four levels of UCB. Okay. And that was... Improv. Yeah, that was really fun. That was very helpful uh, to get out of your head as a stand-up. It's extremely helpful. 
And then I took one acting class recently, but that's it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's it. What do, what do you feel like – you know, do you feel like the uh, stand-up and the writing and uh, the improv – really helped you in auditioning because obviously yes. auditioning is a skill as you know yeah and it's a skill i'm still still getting better on yes a thousand percent everything everything is leading you to the next thing mm. like it totally is and i think like like right before we die we'll like look back and see like oh that's why that happened <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> we might not have the high, like the foresight to see it now also, what helped me is I dated Lauren Adams for a long time, and I we would do self-tapes together. I love her. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's the best. And then Arturo, too. Yeah. So I also – I still will help Arturo with self-tapes. So mm. I'm when I'm doing their self-tapes and I'm reading with them, I'm 100% locked in and learning from mm. both of them. Mm-hmm. Like, I will say this, man. <laughs> doing self-tapes with a girl or guy you're dating can get <laughs> – potentially very volatile <laughs> how's that well it's just like you know because then like relationships and stuff will come out when you're like trying to do a tape because it's like a big deal you want to book the thing and then you're if you like make one wrong eye movement they're like okay let me guess you don't even want to be here now <laughs> like, no i do so that was funny but i learned so much from both of them because they're both very strong actors mm. both of those people are extremely strong actors and make very strong choices so mm-hmm. I learned from both of them. I'm always learning, though. Like, I sometimes will audition for stuff. I'll, I'll self-submit to stuff that I don't think I, A, will get or even want to really do just because I want to try an audition. Mm-hmm. I want to work on my self-tape game. I want to mm-hmm. – I did that recently for something. I was like, oh, I don't even care about this. But it would be fun to just see how I do. It's that, like, kind of removed from the result Yes. You know, mindset, yeah. right? Yeah. That kind of gets you that confidence of like, let me just see, let me just do it. Yeah. Kind of like how you started, like yes. with just the the letter, the writing, yeah. the letter and all that stuff. So it seems like that's an instinctual thing for you, like not really thinking. Well, we talked about, yeah, I mean, we talked about this as much. in that class that you taught, we talked about this. It's everybody who I know would always say to me like, oh, I didn't want this commercial and didn't care and I booked it. I mean, right. that's so – I've heard right. that story so many mm-hmm. times. I think that happened to me twice mm-hmm. where I was like – there. I think I told you this. There was an NFL callback that I had that I was like, I don't even want to be here. Like this guy was like making us do it so many times. I was like, I'm just going to leave. I could care less. And then I booked it. <laughs> it what? was almost like you have to get mad at them and be like, this is so stupid. And then you Well, I it. think a lot of it also has to do with how much weight you're putting on something. Don't yeah, you feel like, yeah. like when you go into those rooms, it's very intimidating if there's more than one person in there. Don't you feel? Absolutely. Like- and uh, so maybe that plays a part in your sort of, un, you know, maybe unbeknownst to you in your own yeah. head that you – that carefree not putting as much weight on it attitude do you, do you feel like that yeah nobody wants life? anybody who's needy in anything ever <laughs> i mean it's true in life either <laughs> yeah like dating somebody or like that energy sucks and i've absolutely had that energy a lot and i'm mm. like really getting better at it but it's funny like yeah when you're like i don't care they're like oh no this guy's awesome <laughs> he doesn't care <laughs> i wish i could be like yeah, that right amazing. yeah <laughs> so okay so um Let's go back to like your writing because yes. that's at the heart of everything that you're doing. Yeah. So what was like your first – so you had your first like kind of professional writing gig, right? Like when – well, basically when was that? That was which which job? I mean uh, to be full-time consistent professional writing on a comedy thing was the AOL two-point lead show, mm-hmm. which happened in 2015 to 16, which was awesome. What was that about? It was so kick-ass. It was – 
Um, the host was Giannis Papas, great comic, one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. He was the host. Joel Solomon was the head writer, and then I was the only other writer. So it was three of us in a writer's room, and every day we had to come up with a two- to three-minute piece of sports comedy material for AOL, and then it would go out to HuffPost sometimes. So, and this was video, or is this video, this was video sketch, right? Video sketch, but mm-hmm. it was also like, you know, voiceover pieces, interviews. So it wasn't necessarily always sketch. We had a, you know, we had a small budget, but we had a budget, and every day we'd be in the writer's room, and every day we would come up with sports shit, pitch stuff. And it was awesome because I got to be in sketches. I got to eventually host the show because Giannis' contract was up or something. And then, but I only hosted the show for a couple of months. And then, acting and writing all the time on and then I was also in the edit bays which really helps you wow so you were like you'd I'd work with an editor and we would craft a piece and it's great Joel's Joel went on to work for um Bill Simmons had a show on HBO and now he's working on some major sports show in LA and you still stay in touch with these people yeah I talked to Joel once in a while he's in LA Giannis I see we still are friends like that time was incredible and I don't think I really realized how awesome it was i know aol is like kind of a shoddy brand name but when was this when 2015 into 2016 but it was one of the best jobs (laughs) yeah and they treated us incredibly so i remember (laughs) i went to a coffee shop by her office and she's like oh you work for aol this this barista she goes i was gonna go on a date with a guy then i I found out he worked for aol and i canceled (laughs) i was like that's your that's That's your red flag AOL is how you bring That's it down. Where it started. Oh man. my god. Um, so wait, how did you get that gig? I got brought into a brainstorm. Um, they did three separate brainstorm sessions. There was probably like ten writers in three of them, and Kevin McCaffrey ultimately recommended me. So you get does that happen a lot for you? Like just because you know a lot of yeah. people they're always asking me like how do I do I have to have certain connections? Do I, I have know. to know people? And I and just wondering from your perspective like you know I mean how how much of that plays into it? Like, I mean I think this is the most important question in this business that nobody's talking about enough. My answer is everything. <laughs> <laughs> I went to get into a talk with the head of like development for Disney, and she said. Raise your hand, everybody. Well, how did you get your last job? And this guy raised his hands. He's like, my wife's ex-roommate's husband. She's like, end of conversation. She's like, my first job in this industry, I was at a wedding in Malibu, and I met somebody. Mm. So it's tough because I don't want to tell people to stop working, but I would say, like, do not underestimate the power of connections. Mm-hmm. Start forging them. I mean, like, you and me is a good example of, like, you can you can also be working on meeting people as much as you are actually working on the work it's everything it's it's if we go on this list of like my jobs it's almost every job that i've gotten outside of like michael moore and rolling stone is a connection well i think your point is like it's not just one thing you know it's it's really you know showing that drive and ambition in different ways of like being seen yes you know i think yeah be seen and put yourself out there as much as you can but also just don't underestimate having good friends having people that you are like-minded with and who are doing well and who are want have have friends in this industry that have similar goals to you Mm -hmm. that's like so important that's a great point you have to because they're going to push you otherwise you're going to get stuck and yeah, so oh, to go back to this, the Disney woman, she said, connections number one, this is just for writing, connections number one, your story, which I think was so interesting, your actual personal story, third, your original pilot to get writing jobs in this business. And I think that's pretty, that sounds pretty right to me. Yeah. 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 For writing. Yeah. yeah for writing. Um, 
So, okay. So now some people may say like, oh my God, it sounds like he's never stopped working and he's always had a job. Were there any points, (laughs) down points where like you didn't, you were out of work, you know, and. Right now. (laughs) uh, Okay. (laughs) See, there's honesty right there. Oh yeah. No, I mean. It's not all roses. No. And that's, but that's why it's like you reading this bio makes me feel good. Cause like when Stephen Colbert said, when you're working in this business, you feel like you're going to work forever. And when you don't, you're going to feel like you're never going to work again. Yes. And that is that is a motherfucker. I'm sorry. <laughs> Ooh, I got to like write that one down. That's yeah. That's good to remember. Because like right now I'm I'm doing my podcast. I'm auditioning all the time. I'm applying for a ton of writing jobs. But I've, I'm like every day I'm like, I'm not working. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you get in panic mode, right? Yes, I'm in panic mode right now. And I'm like <laughs> – but I'm like getting better at weathering these downtimes. Because you're but, used to it, yes? Yeah, but it sucks. Yeah. It's like being a constant freelancer. Yeah, and I don't necessarily want that. Then, well, That's one of the reasons why I really started this podcast because I was like, I want to have my own thing that I have total control over. I hear you. Yeah, which I think everybody <laughs> should find that thing. That's awesome. But no, I don't. I hope that anybody listening, no, it's there's been a lot of downtimes. I mean, the longest I probably didn't go without actually really working. Like all in time, all, all in this time, I'm like still – doing some weird freelance freelance writing jobs usually to fill in some gaps mm-hmm. but i went from huff post to alternatino was a long time and the huff post show was probably let's my, talk about that my, probably my favorite thing i've what, worked tell on us, tell me about your the huffington post so from the and these are videos now. yeah this okay. show is such a good so from aol i kristen hartley was the showrunner of AOL two point lead. So Joel was the head writer. Kristen was a showrunner. Uh, Giannis left. Joel went to LA, and Kristen was like, "Hey, they have this idea for a show here. It's called Celebrities Have Issues. It's every sc- and this is leading into the 2016 election. Uh, celebrities come in. They say this is my cause, and we're going to write a sketch for them mm-hmm. based off of that cause. And then our fee that we pay the celebrity goes right to their cause. Wow, it is such a good idea. It's amazing." Our second episode was Kristen Bell, pink sourcing, and it got like 25 million views. I watched it. It's hilarious. Yeah. And it was great. It's like that era I feel like doesn't exist anymore where like people were passing around. My sister, this is like one of the cooler things that happened. My sister texted me and told me that someone was watching it on her train ride home in Chicago the day it came out. I was oh, like, wow. oh, that's like really cool. It got picked up everywhere. It mm. went bonkers. And then the next week, I got into a fight with HuffPost about them trying to censor one of our videos. And I was like, how could you do this? We just went viral. Like, I was like, I, I didn't say that, but I was like steaming. Anyways, it, the only people running the show were me and Kristen. I was head writer. She was also writing a bunch on it, and she was producing, executive producing, and making it. And we got to have writer's rooms, and we got to work. We did 10 episodes. And then I don't know why HuffPost just stopped doing it. I think... Mm. I think Facebook has killed internet comedy. I mean, I don't know if you saw what just happened with College Humor. No, what happened? They just fired 80, 100 people. Yeah. Oh, my God. Why? But the same thing happened to Funny or Die. HuffPost is not doing comedy anymore, really. Because Facebook has basically put a monopoly on the property that is the internet. And like, in order for you to be seen on Facebook now, you have to give them a ton of money to run your stuff. It's like basically they're like the mafia. Wow. But they have almost single-handedly shut down internet comedy. Like, but you don't hear about above average anymore. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. It's horrible. I think there's going to be a way around it someday, but like that era of internet comedy was everything. It was so great. Yeah. 
Now it's, I think, more Instagram and for now. I was going to say Instagram. Or Twitter. But don't, do, I have friends they, who are doing do well on Twitter. Do they Instagram, Facebook? No, yeah, they, they do. do. See, I know. You have to watch yeah. about that. But Twitter seems like, like – our friend Mike Camerlingo is doing really well on Twitter. I love Mike Camerlingo. Yeah, he's, he's, crushing it, he's crushing it on Twitter. And so Twitter, I think, he could still be seen. But there was <clears throat> Tyler Fisher, my great friend. I mean, he would anytime he put up a video, it would get a million hits no matter what. But now they're blocking algorithms to make it harder to be seen. So I guess more of like – Having your own website and like yeah. and podcasts and just podcasts having your own original still. stuff rather than but how do you get it seen like you have yeah. to market it at these places like so um well that's unfortunate well one thing I was I told your class too it seems like shorts are doing really well longer form mm-hmm. comedy content mm-hmm. um and where are those airing I mean I guess I think it's, it's more... getting in festivals and okay. I, it's not about as views as much as I think it used to be you can still build a YouTube ta- channel I'm sure. Uh, Maybe I, that'll get yeah. bigger. Yeah, you know? like there's always going to be ways to be, but then again, like YouTube then also has their own content that they're producing. So it's like, what are they pushing out? It was so cool when I feel like everything was democratized equally. Mm. I feel like that era is kind of done, but we'll see what happens. A little bit too much control. Of A little everything. bit too much control. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's time for something new then, right? Yeah. Um. So tell me. Um. Let's move on. Let's do it. So let's talk about um, more about me. Let's talk more about you. I, can't I wait. love talking about you. Do this for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> God, I'm, I'm great. Who doesn't like talking about themselves? I know. So um, d- let's talk about you know again those uh, not to be negative but just to have the reality. Where were was where was like the real low points for you? Where maybe you said to yourself, "Okay, I'm going home." I oh, every time anymore. I did stand up for the first five years. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, it was a lot of those times though. Um, yeah, there was stand up was so hard at times for me, just because I would take it so personally. Now, I I think I'm better at it and I take it less personally. But a lot, um, yeah, I'd always have those moments like New York in February when you're trudging mm. through Hell's Kitchen <laughs> to go. I know. I'm like, I gotta get out of here. I'm going to like <laughs> Hell's Kitchen to like go do a shitty mic in the basement of a Moroccan restaurant at like nine o'clock on a Thursday night and you bomb and you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> I had a friend come see me at a comedy club open mic in the East Village. This is my college roommate. Afterwards, non-ironically, he pulls me aside and he's like, hey man, um, are you okay? <laughs> you don't have to do this because it was so dark. It's just dark. Were you in a dark headspace then or like what? Uh, No, just like the whole mic was so dark and like sad and there's like eight mm. people and this is what I was doing every night, you know? Mm. So, yeah, there's tons of low points. Mm-hmm. How, I mean, do you, how do you get yourself out of that? Like because it's hard to motivate yourself, especially in this business where everybody's trying to do – that thing that yeah. you do and to make yourself stand out and be unique and I take com- reinventing yeah. yourself. Yeah, I take comfort in the fact that everybody's gone through this. There's I remember watching John Stewart interview Steve Martin, like on the Daily Show, and they talked about bad night and stand up and they like both put their head down on the table because they're like, Oh God. Cause they both mm. it you're not alone. Like this is very normal. It still happens to great comics. But that made me feel good. Second thing that made me the best that I that I could say is the best to, for anybody to do is find something that you can do that you love the most in this business and you have all the control or most of the control about. Even if it's hard. Even if it's hard. Yeah. So like the, the one of the best pivot moves I did was 2040 with Arturo and then starting my own weekly stand-up show with Lance at Lucky Jack's. So those two things was a way of us being like – not so much at the mercy of the response of the industry to you, mm-hmm. 
And that's what everyone always says now. They're like, I don't need like I need big comics. Like I don't need the industry. Well, they don't because they built you know Mark Maron built his thing or Joe Rogan like people who have just like I don't care about auditions or I, I'm not gonna let these people like ruin my life. Mm-hmm. So if that's and then also do a ton of self work. I mean that's really true too. That's also what I've had to do to not be destructively sad. <laughs> <laughs> And it still gets hard me, man. To, hard to seem hard for me to imagine you being destructive. Oh, uh, it can get dark. But <laughs> I haven't seen you. I haven't seen that side of you. Yet. Oh, I can get that guy. I, that but guy. I also will say, like, when you stick with it, it does get so much better. Like, the bombings are way less. You only you start to only really do shows you want to do. You have friends that are in the game for so long. You start getting success, mm. and it feels like you slowly start to rise above the shit. Mm. Which is that's the hope. But I also want to be clear that I think it could happen in any way for anybody at any time. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen so many people take off immediately. So many people take 20 years out of the funniest people I know. So it's like there's no – I don't know. There's you know? no formula. There's no formula Yeah. So, OK. So you mentioned Alternatino. Yes. And I want to hear about – and I'm sure everybody wants to hear about it um, – how that all came together because that is a great story that I've heard and I'd love for you to tell it. Yeah, so me and Arturo Arturo Castro. Arturo Castro, who's in Narcos and Broad City, and he's now like shooting a movie a week. We got he got a bunch of us together in twenty ten, like twenty people. And how did how did you meet him? The ride. The ride. What is the ride? The ride was a tour of New York City with the show. It's like how I met anybody in New York. It's hilarious. It's a bus. It's a, it's a tricked out bus where you're sitting parallel facing the street, mm-hmm. performing to people. You're performing on the street? Yes, and then, and also on the bus. I was a host, and I was also the New Year's Eve guy <laughs> pretending to be New Year's. Oh, my God. How long did you do that for? Too long. Uh, <laughs> still there. No, it still exists, which was I've seen it. so crazy because the whole time we were there, every month we're like, well, we're done. This is not happening anymore. And it's fine. Uh-huh. Still going somehow. So that's I was how there, you met each other. I, but the freshman class of that place – insane talent did i ever tell you this no darcy carden oh wow on the good place emily axford lauren adams cody linquist um ben Ramaka. wow justin tyler alden ford arturo me like so many other funniest shannon coffee who i think is like one of the funniest people alive like and what was so frustrating was we were like hey um you have a lot of good talent here. Can we maybe like write this script because we don't like it? They're like, no. <laughs> and it's like some of the funniest people in America working on this shit. And they're like, no. And well, what were they? What were you writing? What were they writing? We had a script we had to follow. Leslie Mizell. Mm-hmm. I love her. Love her. She's still. She's actually, I think, running that place now. Oh, how funny! I know. So back to one. Is, is, <laughs> everyone back to one? Yeah, there's a lot of back to ones at that place. No, so it was great. It was a great job. Anyway, so I meet Arturo like a year into it. He's he tried to get me to work on something with him, and then like he's like, okay, I want to, I want to. He brought all these people together. He's like, I want to make something. The only people who really stuck with it were me, this guy Adam Rothfeld, and Haley Giles. And so we we met and we wrote Twenty Forty, this web series, mm-hmm. and it's I'm so proud of that web series. And it was right around the time that High Maintenance was coming was was a mm-hmm. web series. Mm-hmm. And we like felt like we were in competition with uh, they won, but uh, we kept getting uh, <laughs> we kept getting like noticed on uh, lists with them. Like we made a lot of lists about like web series to watch, and it just got a lot of buzz. And what was twenty forty about? What was the twenty forty was about three friends 
who um, are trying to start to trying to write a make a movie called 2040, and I'm in love with Haley, and Arturo's this like over the top actor, and the whole point is we started Kickstarter to try and make 2040, <laughs> and 2040 close to Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, and like I'm obsessed with Zach Braff, and it's like all these jokes. It's probably a little outdated if I watch it now, but the pilot's hysterical. I love it, and Roland Smith shot it, and he is so dope. And, and features you on the scooter. Yes, me and Arthur on the scooter, <laughs> and which we have taken a lot together. So then from there, we made three episodes, and we're like, we almost sold it. And I think Arthur didn't want to keep doing it because he felt like he, he didn't have like enough creative control because there was a bunch of us involved. Mm. So then he got approached by La Flama, which was a Latin-based comedy site that's gone now. Okay. And he sold a pilot to them. And 2040. No, he oh. sold Alternatino to them. But then his manager's like, uh, why don't you try Comedy Central? <laughs> Wait, so he created – how did Alternatino come about? Because that was like – It was sort of an offshoot of that. They're connected. like, hey, we like we like your stuff. We like your stuff a lot. Um, we like your stuff a lot. Do you, like, do you have anything else? And I think then he mentioned Alternatino, sold it. And then his manager was like, hey, what about Comedy Central? So he sells Alternatino to Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. Um, and they green light a season of digital sketches, season one. And that was like in 2015. Wow. Yeah. And that's when did it first air on Comedy Central? Probably 2016. And then we did a season two. The process was years. And yeah. it's so funny. I think I told your class this, but <laughs> the when the press release came out for the actual TV show, it was like, no, they just gave this guy the show. And I'm like, this has been going on for five years. <laughs> Like so many notes, such a long process. I think things are getting greenlit faster, but it was like Comedy Central had this whole thing where like we're going to incubate talent within and then produce a show off of that, mm-hmm. which I think is a really smart idea. And I think they've done it a couple other times. So, yeah. So that was three or four years online and then the pilot and then the series. So then we wrote the series in L.A. And so Alternatino was – so was, who was writing on that original – script of that mostly pitch. just me and arturo just the two of you and then we brought in a couple writers occasionally for writers rooms and pitch meetings but the actual writing was me and him mm-hmm. and what was the basis of that idea alternatino just uh... he wanted it to be like because arturo is he's like he wants it to be latin centric but he's also like i'm also just a dude right. he is he's just a he's right. a bro and there's nothing wrong with that and so you like it was it's the idea of it was to like bridge the worlds of similar in the way key and peel did i would say mm. I wouldn't say it's like Chappelle's show. I'd say it's more – it's not as like heavy-handed with like topics. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would say that's sort of the, the gen- genesis behind mm-hmm. it. Yeah, And you're performing in this too and writing the yes, episode. Yes, so, which is and, awesome. And how many people are writing and how many people are like uh, producing it? So are Like t- prior to you selling it. Oh, yeah. No, I mean it was very small. I mean mm-hmm. Arturo was producing a ton of it. A lot of the work himself. And then Comedy Central was involved with their own in-house people. Mm -hmm. So, but it was a very small. And the productions themselves were pretty big. The day shoots were big. But Mm -hmm. yeah, otherwise. And once it was sold, did you have like say or control over the content? Like, or is where, I mean, how collaborative was that once Comedy Central? No, they were, I mean, they were always involved and they were always giving notes, but their notes were good. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not against notes. I mean, I'm happy to talk to you about uh, my experience with Bravo where I was against the notes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not against the notes. um, Except for Blind D? Yeah, especially if 
especially if they're like small and good and they, they have comedy backgrounds like for the most part mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a big believer in not having too many cooks in the kitchen I think all of pop culture history of television has proven that's always a horrible idea and luckily at Comedy Central there wasn't too many cooks mm. so they didn't change a ton a couple times they changed some stuff that I was like oh, I don't agree with it but like whatever I had to let it go sometimes so um and then also on that note of collaboration so obviously you've collaborated with a lot of yeah. people over time and it seems to be a big thing. I mean, and other than going to do stand up, yes. you're there by yourself. The rest of it is basically, you know, other or like doing auditions or whatnot. You're basically collaborating with a bunch of different people. Yes. Um, what makes a good collaborator? Oh, that's a good question. I think a good collaborator is somebody who you have to think is super funny. Start there. Like, well, in comedy, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> In comedy. In drama, make sure they're really serious and hate everything. <laughs> Bad person. True crime, make sure that they've committed a crime. <laughs> a good collaborator is somebody who you feel like will A, hit deadlines, mm. w- will put in the proper amount of work slash fun, because <laughs> there is a balance, and I learned that from Arturo really well. And they have they have big dreams. They They want this to go somewhere, and they're mm-hmm. motivated. And you're not just doing it just to do it, and you are in sync creatively somewhat. You're going to have some differences, and that's fine. But yeah, good collaborator. I would say like I, I really collaborate really well with Tyler Fisher. Mm. Um, you work with him a lot. We right? almost yeah, we almost sold the prank show, and someday we might revisit it. So the prank show, yeah, that's and, awesome. but it's like a social based. It's not like a stupid ja- like oh, I like Jackass, but it's not like some like stupid thing. It's it's like a socially focused prank show. We almost like sold it. Uh, who, uh, like a Nathan for you, mm-hmm. a little bit like that. Wh- who was it that did the prank show um, uh, years ago? Uh, I forget who it was. That uh, God, that seventy show guy. Oh yeah, Ashton Kutcher. Uh, Ashton Kutcher. It's not like a punked. Okay, you've been punked by Brendan Tyler. <laughs> You've been Tylered and Brendan. <laughs> so, yeah, we work really well together. But it is – I will say this. Okay. This is important. When you do go into a collaboration with somebody, make sure off the top you are extremely clear about titles I was and just going to ask you about that. Yeah, for sure. Control and creative going forward. Almost even get it into writing. It's almost like – it's almost like a marriage where you're like, well, this is never going to go wrong. But you don't know when – Industry and money get involved, mm-hmm. shit gets wild. So be extremely explicit. Mm-hmm. That I cannot stress that enough. With the legality of it all, yes. Legality of it all, roles going forward, promises made. Make sure that mm-hmm. you are very much is no joke. Get that shit in writing if you can and be Even very- if you're friends, right? Yes. Like that can get a little touchy. Because then management comes in and then – I mean. Like, again, to talk about Dave and Neil after the sh- he quit the Chappelle show or actually leading up to, I think, the second or third season negotiations, Neil was like, this is the worst time of my life. Comedy Central was trying to pit them against each other. Like, we don't – like, obviously, Alternatino and, like, projects I've done have not at the level of Chappelle, but I, I've, I saw what happens, mm-hmm. and it's no joke. Mm-hmm. Like, once real money starts getting involved, like, you're having fun now, and that's great. I'll never stop having fun, but you have got to protect yourself. Well, it's a business in the yes. end. Yeah. Protect yourself a thousand times. Do you, get a manager. A get a lawyer. lawyer. Yeah. Get someone to protect yourself because you like and, – and it's like the, it, there's so many stories like this. Mm-hmm. So 
it's not a unique thing to have shit go wildly wrong. Now, do, who determines? I mean, it, did you have uh, your agent or a lawyer or other people have that uh, on their end determine who was executive producer, producer, and like what your titles were? How? Yeah, you get, yeah, you got to hammer all that stuff out, and you have to just be really clear. But yeah, get get get. A, I had a manager. I haven't had a lawyer yet, but I think I will. Someone told me that Tina Fey only has a lawyer, which makes sense. Like, why would she need, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Eventually, you just need someone to just protect yourself. Protect right. You, protect you. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Great advice. I think that's super, super important. Because there's creativity and there's friendship and then there's money on top of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you're a creative person, it kind of goes over your head. Yeah, and yeah? you're like, oh, who cares about that? Like, and you're I'm like, just, oh, no, you I'm need to care. making art, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. You know? What? Yeah, have fun. Never stop having but, – but by protecting yourself, then you don't have to worry about that stuff. Right. And you could just only – I'm here to only do this job. Mm-hmm. I don't need to care about the implications mm-hmm. – well, it's better to have like a third party step in and do it for you rather yeah. than have it so it's not like a feud between friends. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, it's very important. Um. All right. So a couple more things I want to ask you. Yeah. I have so many questions. Can't wait. I'm learning so much about you that I didn't know before. Oh, it's yeah. so awesome. Yeah. Um. Okay. So back to your stand-up. So – do, has your family ever seen your stand-up? And do Great they have question. any, like, do you ever filter it or have they asked wow. you to? Is my mom here? <laughs> my dad has seen me a bunch. My mom has never seen me. Oh, I don't no. know that she ever will. <laughs> She's super Christian. Oh, gosh. And wow. it's uh, it's tough. And I think, like, this podcast is going to be real interesting. <laughs> Put it to you that <laughs> Sorry, way. Sorry, mom. It's coming out. <laughs> the word asshole is everywhere. <laughs> your son's an asshole. Part of me doing this podcast, I think, is a response to like a life of trying to tiptoe around things around her because of her intense beliefs. Mm. So I think it's my way of almost answering them. Mm. <laughs> Countering in a, in a gentle it. way. In a gentle way. And you said you have a sister too, yeah? Yeah. She's seen me a bunch. She's been supportive. My dad has always been – questioning at first and then my biggest fan once stuff starts going well (laughs) it's like prove it to me yeah and then once it does he's like this is an awesome career (laughs) how did they feel when you first started going into the entertainment biz not good okay they deny it but not good and still like recently my mom asked me if i wanted to be a cruise director and i was like i don't want to talk about this anymore with you guys cruise director i don't even like talk about she was on a cruise recently oh She's like, you'd be so good at that. And it was come from like the nicest place and she's a great lady. But I was like, That's so random. we basically have stopped talking about career stuff. Okay. Because for a long time they're trying to get me to go back to grad school. And I'm like, for what? It, wow. Okay, I will say this. And I, I've told my cousin this, who's my godson, who's getting into journalism because his parents are on his case a lot already, which is, in my opinion, too quickly to be on their case. <laughs> Once you start getting success, they will leave you alone. Mm. It sucks that that's the case, and my my dad has been very supportive. Of what does me. he do for work? My dad's the best. He used to work for HUD Housing Urban Development, and he used to help fund and run Native American reservations east of the Mississippi River. Wow! So he like rolls deep with Native Americans. It's amazing, oh my God, that's and he amazing. still does. He can now consult with them, and he's tra- still traveling the country with Na- like helping out Native Americans. He's like a liaison now. Mm. But I have like a lot of wicker baskets in my house. <laughs> I do all these blankets. Yeah, no, he's the Comes best. Use. And he's just like, um, yeah, he's political, but like in the best way. And I feel like the 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 best parts of me, as far as like 
right and wrong and like going for shit is because of him. Mm. Yeah. Is he funny? Is there anyone else in your family? Oh, he's so funny. My dad is so funny all the time. He starts every conversation with like a joke. I don't even think he thinks he's funny. He's just like always funny. And he's just like always trying to like mess with my mom, which is just the best. (laughs) He used to call my mom. We like, if me and my dad would go see a Notre Dame game together and he'd call my mom and he'd be like, how do you think I'm doing? Brendan got arrested. And he would just see how long he, because my mom is really gullible. He would just see how long. My mom, my dad recently, my mom is conservative. My dad recently donated $100 to Bernie Sanders in my mom's name. Oh my God. <laughs> Which is like the funniest thing. And she didn't know? No, she got, she's like, why am I getting emails from the socialist? I was like, that's fantastic. Does your mom work? Yeah, she used to actually have a great job too. She used to run a volunteer center in the Northwest suburbs of Chicago. Nice. So they both have, Great admirable, job. Admirable, very Yeah, admirable they're both jobs. like doing things. It's a good, we stay in our lane. I love that expression. Just keep going down the highway. Keep talking <laughs> about the weather and your sister's kids and nothing can ever go wrong then. And is your sister, what does she do? She works for Bank of America. She has okay, a really cool. good job and she has a nice house and awesome. three kids. And yeah. she, where does she live? Suburbs, same, same. So as, everybody's back home yeah, still. Yeah. So you, do you go home a lot? I used to more. I think I will start going back more now. But mm-hmm. I have a dog, so I have to. That's not really an excuse. But yeah, I, I don't know why I said that. No, I have to always <laughs> like. Child. I have to always get someone to watch him. But no, I want to go back. I love going back. I was home for a week for Christmas. Mm-hmm. It was great. And do you see old friends, and they hear like where you're. Yeah, at? they're all got kids. They all got that real life. Uh huh. And. They're always interested in what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what's the actor doing? Especially with the ladies. They have questions. <laughs> they're like, please tell us how it is. And then, um, yeah, they're, they're great. I, I, I have some of my best friends I've known since I was five. Oh, that's amazing. It, yeah. That's very rare. For real, yeah. yeah. I would say three or four of my best friends I've known since I was five years old. And at this point, they just feel like brothers to me. Oh, that's amazing. Like, they totally feel like family to me. So, um, let's talk about... Um... Oh, one last question before we talk about your podcast, because I'm yeah. really excited to hear about that, because I'm so into spirituality. Yeah, yeah. And I love your love, shirt. I, lo- I know, got I got energy. a great shirt on. You could read it to them, I don't know. Energy, strength, inspiration, gratitude, me. It's from Kripalu. Oh, hell yeah. Um, so what part of your career gives you the most satisfaction, writing or performing? I love that question. I, I always answer... Right now, I really want to do more on-camera stuff, mm-hmm. but the satisfaction I get from writing a joke or having something be on screen and people laughing is incredible. So I got to punch up this movie like five years ago, and they used one of my punch-ups, and the whole theater laughed, and I was like, this is the best. I don't, I'm not the guy that's like, I need all the adoration, but I get a thrills from being on camera, too, mm. in a different way. So... What I will say is the number one thing that brings me the most joy is being super proud of work that I've done. Mm. And even if it doesn't get a good response, there's videos I've done that have like hardly any views and I'm like, this is dope and I'm still super proud of this. Of course, in the beginning, I was like, damn it. (laughs) But now I'm like, no, this is good work. It's always about going for I hope the good work, you know. Mm. Well, you're leaving, like, in a sense, to not to be cheesy, but a legacy. Like, you have literally something out there that's, like, has your stamp on it. Yeah, someone commented on one of my YouTube videos recently. I was like, oh, that was nice. (laughs) (laughs) Was that the first time someone ever did that? No, they have. It's just, like, an old video that I have. I forgot I even did. And so, like, stuff like that. Not that I need the comments, but it's, like, being proud of the work you do. Yes, you're going to do some dumb shit. I will say for the most part, most of the commercials I've done, I've really liked. Mm-hmm. Like, I like that Papa John's one. I, like, yeah, I've been degraded sometimes. 
I would say the blind date experience with reality <laughs> with Stanford or Stanford and Bravo was close to being degraded. But I, I mean, for the most part, it would spend good work. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, to look back and to say to have that perspective. For the most now, part, yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, like having read all the stuff that I read about you in the beginning, it must feel good to like, be like, oh yeah, I did that, or like that was this is a longevity of of a career where you're just in the in the throes of it still. Yeah, you're lucky if you can do work that you think is good. I think that's really important, no matter what it is, if it's writing, if it's acting, if it's hosting, even your own job, if that's not an entertainment industry. If you could say like, I'm proud of this work, that's an amazing thing to say. And for the most part, I think I can say that. No matter what happens. To yeah. It, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about spiritual asshole. Yeah, baby. All right. So excited. Tell me about this podcast. How did you come up with it? How did you come up with the name? Um. <laughs> well, I wanted a name to get people's attention about spirituality. <laughs> and I think it worked. Done. And uh, <laughs> I think that there, spirituality is like a huge part of who I am. And I've kind of kept it on the, the wraps for someone, because I hang out with comics, and I don't want to be people to think I'm a douchebag. But um, is spirituality equal douchebag? I mean, there's sort of a perception of, especially the brand that I think I espouse, where it's like you're out of your mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I want to bridge the world between what people think is uh, what people think spirituality is, what it actually is, and I want to mm -hmm. provide like a grounding, hopefully funny take on it, so it does it feels more accessible, right? Yeah. So spiritual asshole is like. Basically, well, I could be the asshole. It's like always trying to figure out like what is spirit. At the end of every episode, I play a game: what's spiritual or what's an asshole. And I'll say like, <laughs> I'll say like a thing: the U.S. Post Office, spiritual or asshole, like stuff like that. And then I have my guest answer. I usually tailor the questions to the person who I'm talking to. Uh huh. And so it's just basically like sussing out what is really real in spirituality mm -hmm. and what is not and then also like just providing people a place to come that's like i hope super accessible and easy to get to improve your life and to become more empowered so have you always been a spiritual person in that way because you know yeah it's i mean and also like what what is spirituality to you yeah i think so because it was Christian though, and it was Catholic for a long time, and then I just left Catholic. Then I left the Catholic Church, and then I was tried out Christianity for a while, and I was like, "This is also feels very, very limiting to me." Spirituality to me is every is everything. Like I don't think that there, I don't think anything is not spiritual. Mm -hmm. Like I think that that's not possible. I think mm -hmm. all we are is energy, and I, I use this quote all the time. Wayne Dyer would always say, "You're not a human being having a spiritual experience. You're a spiritual being having a human experience." Mm -hmm. And I love that, and I think that that's. Wait, say it again? You're not a human being having a spiritual experience. You're a spiritual being having a human, human ex experience. Mm. Yeah. And he, Wayne wrote this book called There's a Spiritual Solution to Every Problem. And there is. Like, I, I promise you that I believe no matter what is ailing you right now, there's a way to fix it spiritually. You might still die from cancer or you might still have an extreme example. But there is a way there is a spirit by fixing the spiritual element of whatever's going wrong in your life. You're fixing the structural problem so that it's easier and your life will be better. Mm -hmm. I completely believe that it's getting to the core of who you are. Mm. And so that life becomes so much easier. You don't have to struggle as much anymore. Yeah, like I know – I mean, I like I said, I'm very into spirituality and wellness and the whole bit. And yeah. I went, when I went to Kripalu um, – Where is that again? Wellness is that retreat. Hawaii? No, no. It's like uh, – oh, God, I can't remember where it is. I've but definitely like heard of it. Or something. It's gorgeous. Oh, it's supposed to be great. Yeah. It's gorgeous. And I highly recommend you go. And they have so many ranges of, of – um, 
uh, seminars to take, like mindfulness eating yeah. and a lot of yoga, a lot of meditation. Yeah. You get up at like eight in the morning, even earlier I'm sometimes. <laughs> that was what I thought when I first got there. But no, I, I would was, do it. I would do it. I would class. do it in a second. And they have, um, you know, silent breakfast, so you can't talk. Oh, that shit. would be difficult for you, probably. We're just podcasting <laughs> through the whole time. Like, shh, just whisper the podcast. So, so yeah, I mean, and I know the tools I've used over the years yes. for self care and that whole bit and self love. What are some of the tools that you use? Like, especially, I mean, it's yes, I could see people being cynical, especially in our business. Yes. Though there are a mix of a lot of actors that are in that plane, insanely spiritual. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what really started pointing me down this path was. Is a consistent thread that I've read from all of the people who I care about the most, how they think and talk in almost the exact same way. And I was like, oh, this is – there's patterns here. There's mm-hmm. clear patterns. So follow those patterns. It's like what I said earlier. Like if you look up to somebody, if you're going to pick someone to look up to, pick someone who's successful. So if the blueprint is of all these people that I looked up to that I think are killing it have extreme positivity, mm-hmm. extreme faith, and extreme belief in themselves, and they visualize and think big things, and they usually meditate. They usually – some of them believe in what's called the law of attraction. Mm-hmm. Like it's very consistent, man. Like you'd be very surprised. Yes, of course, there's people who – would say that that's all bullshit, but I would also argue that those people are still probably practicing that stuff anyways. Mm -hmm. They're just not saying that they're doing Mm -hmm. it. So for me, it's meditating, gratitude, exercise, um, positive thinking as much as humanly possible, getting off social media as much as humanly Mm. possible, putting down your cell phone, monitoring your news intake, being in nature, Mm. and yeah, eating as good as you can. That one's real tough for me. I eat both great and like a fucking 12-year-old. I mean, sprinkles should never be a part of your diet. Sprinkles? Sprinkles, like a donut. I'm like, oh, God, I had sprinkles this week. Not sprinkles. sprinkles donuts. Yeah, like actual sprinkles. Actual, I was like, you should never be watching. actual sprinkles. I'm just spooning in sprinkles. You should never actually have sprinkles. Like, like, I should never be walking, as a 36-year-old man, like, wiping sprinkle (laughs) dust off my face. I'm like, am I in a bowling alley? This is insane. (laughs) Doing a line of sprinkles. Yeah, yeah, just mainlining sprinkles. Oh, my God. I love that. Um, Yeah. So, reading as much positive shit as you can. There's Mm. so much stuff out there. Pick up... Pick up a biography of someone who you really like, and I think you'll be surprised mm. how they talk. Well, the I, true stories of people's journey, I yeah. think, really, like, again, like, again, with this, the idea of my podcast of showing that, um, you know, the ups and downs, you yeah. know, and the truth of it, instead of being, you know, uh, kind of falsely. Uh, thinking that it's it's an overnight thing, right? You know, and that there is light at the end of the tunnel. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's work, you know, but it's work on yourself, like you said, you know, and and being present, I think, is another one. Yeah. Well, yeah, we talked about this, like when I said, like find something to do that you can control. Like the number one thing you can control is you in general. Mm. So if you're getting sad all the time doing something i would say either stop doing that thing or really start working on yourself so Mm -hmm. you don't you don't have the same Mm -hmm. like i think now if i i now i actually would be equipped to handle how i started standing up way better than when i was there Mm. (laughs) why do you say that because now i have tools and like spiritual stuff that i could use the time i was just flying by the seat of like whatever the audience would give me like the audience was nice to me that night i'm like i had a great night (laughs) the audience was bad i'm like this is the worst night of my life but maybe that was okay for you then, you know what I mean, I like to get you to now. Yeah, I think you're right. That's a good way to look at it. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Hey. 
positive. That would be uh, $150. Yeah, great. That's actually, <laughs> how much it would, that's actually how much it would cost. <laughs> it, it does, actually. Yeah. This is so awesome. I love talking to you. It's such a pleasure. Yes. And I'm so happy that you were my first yeah, guest. Yeah, this was awesome. And, and telling us about your story up the ladder and... And hopefully you'll come back and tell us more where you're at at the next round. Keep climbing the ladder. Keep climbing right all to the, the, top. All the top. All the way to the top, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. So awesome to talk to you. I will. We will talk again. Can't wait. And good luck with your podcast. And just to reiterate a couple things, um, you can watch Alternatino on Comedy Central season one episodes online and on Comedy Central. Yeah. And. Uh, Brendan's podcast, Spiritual Asshole, is premiering this week on yes. Apple Podcasts and SpiritualAsshole.com. Come be I an just, asshole. I just love that name. I think it's going to be good. I think it sings. Yeah, yeah. Um, and great. And thanks, everyone, for listening to Up the Ladder and my first episode. More episodes to come. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe and share. Uh, and if you feel inclined, write a review, um, yes. a positive one, you know, to keep the positivity going. That would be awesome. Write a letter. Thank you yeah. so much. Yes, write a letter. <laughs> if any any takeaway, write a letter. Just Can write a letter. Write a letter. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you got to do. <laughs> <laughs>